Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O star of wonder, O star of light, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. So begins that classic hymn, We Three Kings. We three kings of Orient are, the hymn begins, bearing gifts we traverse afar. The magi, or the wise men, or as they were sometimes known as kings in history, were actually astrologers or quasi-scientists of their day as they understood science. They noticed something different happening in the sky and they took it to mean that a king was born, a king who was worthy of worship. So they set out to find him with only a star to guide their way. Of course, by the time they reached Bethlehem, Jesus is a toddler. That's right, no longer a baby in a manger, but a toddler, maybe up to two years old. Well, the Christian church in the West tends to conflate these things together, the, the birth of Jesus and the arrival of the wise men or the magi that came years later. Uh, and that's why we tend to put the wise men right there in our nativity sets, right next to infant Jesus in the manger, along with the shepherds and the sheep and the angels, all together in one, one place. Now, maybe you've seen these memes or pictures before of these nativity sets that include some strange characters that children tend to add to them. You know, no, no nativity set is complete without a Batman and a Barbie in their nativity sets. And yeah, the, the little Lego men come to worship sometimes too, along with trolls with crazy purple hair. And, uh, even Luke Skywalker makes a visit every once in a while from the future and into those nativity sets. Well, chuckle if you like, but I think sometimes the children may be getting it right. After all, the Church of Jesus Christ today is made up of a diversity of people from all backgrounds and walks of life. 
If you don't see it much in our little church here in Big Rapids, well, you'll certainly see it in the broader church worshiping Jesus around the world today. And that's because God the Father is supernaturally revealing salvation through Christ his Son to all people, no matter who they are, where they came from, or what they look like. Barbie and Ken hair or troll hair. Uh, dark skin or light skin. Full of tattoos or, or none at all. Quiet folk and boisterous ones. Uh, weak and strong. Uh, wealthy and the poor. We see them all coming together, gathering together for the purpose of worshiping Christ the King. Worshiping Jesus. And it began when some Asian men traversed afar bearing gifts to worship a new king. God's grace and salvation in Christ alone is being revealed and continues to be revealed to the world. This Epiphany Sunday, uh, we are also reminded, though, of the violent world that Jesus came into. It was King Herod's administration. The people were under the Roman occupation. It was a world of terrorists, religious zealots, a world of violence, a world of hatred, a world of emotional reactivity, in other words, a world not like, unlike our own today. In fact, as a young child, Jesus had a price put on his head by the government itself. And that would cause his family to flee to Egypt until the threat was gone. And, and after King Herod had killed many baby boys of Bethlehem in his own fear and paranoia and, and power mongering. So the very presence of Jesus threatens the powerful in the world. King Herod is a ruthless king. He's put in command by the Roman Empire. He, he always feared the attacks from the east. So when the wise men or the magi arrived and they start asking about the king of the Jews, I'm sure his suspicions started to run wild in his mind. Not only that, he considered himself king of the Jews. And in fact, that's a title he gave himself. King Herod, king of the Jews. So what else do we know about this ruthless ruler? Well, he had at least 10 wives, we know, and many children and sons who were always contending for the throne. And so Herod is known to have killed many wives and many sons. In fact, uh, Caesar Augustus is known for saying that he'd rather be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. The pigs were treated better. And so Herod's power and authority is threatened by the presence and the birth of Jesus and surely he knew about Israel's hope and faith in a Messiah king who would be born one day in the, the line of David. Uh, he would be the rightful king of the Jews. Herod knew he wouldn't be able to maintain his throne if, if this word got out about this child king who was born. So it says in verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Well, what does it mean, all of Jerusalem? Well, it's probably talking about all of the religious leaders who aligned themselves with Rome and, and under King Herod. So if King Herod lost his power and control and authority, well, they would lose their power and control and authority too. A new king has been born, but this kingdom, Jesus says, is not of this world. And that's the paradox of our passage here in the book of Matthew. The Jews reject the birth of the king and even align themselves with the powers that would destroy him. All the while, the Magi from the East, the, the, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, travel long distances in order to welcome and worship the new king. 
It's powerful testimony to the purpose and the mission of Jesus. He's not only king of the Jews, he's king of the world. He's king of all the nations of the world. And we see that in the Magi. We see that in the Magi, these wise men. The spiritual seekers from other nations God used to his own creation, the star, to draw them to come to Jesus and to worship him. God was speaking to them. The non-believers. And then Herod, verse 7, calls the Magi secretly, it says. He doesn't want the Jews to find out about this king. He hopes to find the location himself, he says, to go and worship. But we know he has other intentions. He trusts the naivete of the uh, Magi to come back to him and tell him where this child king lives. Herod's a devious man, and he means to stop God's plan with this evil uh, by doing evil, he intends to protect his own position of power and authority. If he killed his own wives and sons, he wouldn't think twi twice about killing some unknown little baby boy. And as Matthew continues to show in his gospel, evil is always at work. Evil is right there, always at work, opposing the work and the plans of God. And the Magi probably would have returned to Herod if God hadn't intervened with dreams to tell him to take another route home, a different, different road home. God continued to speak to these non-believers. I wonder, isn't there a little Herod in all of us too sometimes? When our own power and authority is threatened, our control is threatened, do we not react? When Jesus desires to rule in every area of our hearts and lives, do we not secretly find a way to remove the threat? dampen the awareness of the holy, to circumvent the, the work of the Spirit, trying to speak to our conscience, teach us what's right and what's wrong. But even so, just the presence, the revelation of Jesus, the epiphany of Jesus in the world tends to still inspire worship and praise from some of the most unlikely characters you'll ever meet. We must be careful about judging books by their covers, how people look on the outside, some of the most devout followers of Jesus in the world may not look anything like you or me. The Bible says the Magi came during the reign of Herod. They came from the east, asking in verse 2, Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So their purpose, they say, is to worship Jesus. I think it's magnificent and significant that these astrologers, these non-Jews from other nations, come and honor and worship Jesus, the newborn king. It, it says they, they followed a star that, that settled over Bethlehem. That way they knew where to find Jesus. But they already knew from the prophecy that it was Bethlehem. So it got me to wondering, well, that star must have directed them specifically over Joseph and Mary's house. A star or something that looked like a star supernaturally moved in a way that guided the Magi to Joseph and Mary's home. It's obvious from the text that God was in control, <clears throat> that God was leading these Magi to the place God wanted them to be, where he wanted them to be, and when he wanted them to be there, to the house of Jesus. So it's a very inter interesting fact that the Gentile kings come to worship Jesus, again showing us that Jesus would not only be a blessing to the Jews, but a blessing to all nations. And of course, this should remind us, as it would have reminded the original hearers, especially the Jewish Christian hearers and readers of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, it should remind us of God's promise to Abraham. 
that his descendants would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. God's election of the nation of Israel as his people is being expanded to include the new Israel, the church, and the election of his people from every tribe, language, and nation of the world. The trolls, the goths, the geeks, the jocks, they would all come to worship Jesus. Not come to worship themselves, their own brand, or their own tribe, or their own subculture, or race, or self-made identities, whatever that happens to be. But to worship and adore Christ, who's come into the world to give new life, to give peace, and an identity that's found primarily in him alone. And as an act of worship, of course, the Magi bring gifts. Gold, incense, or frankincense, and myrrh. Three gifts. They were all very valuable gifts meant for royalty. It says in verse 11 that the Magi opened their treasures to present the gifts. So our nativity sets have the little treasure boxes, too, that go with it, right? Three little treasure boxes. It represents the gifts of the wise men or the Magi. But the Bible does not say that there were only three magi, right? It doesn't say there were only three wise men who were there. It only mentions three gifts. But our nativity sets only have three little figurines, so there must have been three. No, there could have been a whole bunch of magi or wise men that came with three gifts. Gold, of course, symbolic of the royalty or the kingship of Jesus. Incense, which was resin from a tree that had a sweet smell when it was burned and uh, it was indicating the priestly nature of Jesus because this was the incense that was used in the temple itself. And the final gift, myrrh, which was also a tree resin, a gum, and an oil that was often used for embalming purposes. Now, Jews didn't often embalm bodies, but they would pack it, myrrh, they would pack the myrrh around a body to help with the smell of a dying corpse. So myrrh points to the sacrificial death of Jesus. Not your ordinary baby shower gifts, right? We might as well bring embalming fluids to a baptism or to a baby shower. Uh, but that gift could be pointing to the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross for the sins of the world. So does the presence of Jesus, the epiphany of Jesus in the world, in our church, in our life, inspire us to worship as it did the Magi? To bring valuable, costly gifts to honor him? To offer the gift of your life? your praise, your treasures, your money, your commitment. Now the presence and the revelation or epiphany of Jesus requires a decision, a response on our part. Either you accept Jesus as your king, honor him, obey him, and follow him, or you don't. The fact is that Jesus is king, not only of the Jews, but king of the world, king of the cosmos. Either you acknowledge King Jesus, uh, or you are living in open rebellion against him. You acknowledge Jesus as king and you obey him or you are living in open rebellion against him and against the kingdom of God. The Magi made the decision to follow Jesus, to accept the king, to worship him, to honor him. Herod had made the decision to reject King Jesus and was out to kill him as soon as he found out about his birth. And his ambition, his paranoia, his lust for power, whatever you call it, led him to a horrendous evil, infanticide. The slaughter of the innocents, as it's been called. Now, a little later, after our reading today, uh, there's a prophecy that's mentioned there. And 
prophet Jeremiah prophesied that God would restore Rachel's children to her land again one day. And so an earlier attempt in scripture of a foreign power to wipe out God's chosen people had failed. God rescued them. And so here Matthew is making the connection for us, alluding to the fact that Herod's attempt to wipe out God's chosen one, Jesus, has failed here. And the rest of the Gospel of Matthew will bear this out. Jesus and family are exiled, so to speak, to Egypt, giving us another illusion of exile and deliverance. But God, like he had done in Egypt for the Israelites and like he had done for the Israelites and their exile to to Babylon, God miraculously intervenes to protect his chosen one, Jesus. God fulfills his sovereign plan in spite of the violence, in spite of the evil that was planned. In our violent world today, the question each of us needs to ask is what will we do? What will we do with the Jesus who was born on Christmas Day? Will we reject him and join the violent world, our violent world and culture? Or will will we accept him and worship him, offering him our treasures and our very lives? King Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who was born into a violent world, enters our violent world today too. He is God with us, even in the violence and the wars of our day. Though we live in a world that looks like Good Friday sometimes, a world that looks like evil is winning or has won, we live with the hope of the resurrection, and therefore we live with the hope that people and the world can change with God's help. Hopefully, working for peace in Jesus' name, God's people will inspire others around the world and other nations to worship. And so often, the church does demonstrate how vastly different people do come together peacefully to worship. This is a surprising revelation, an epiphany. We do not all agree on everything. We do come from different backgrounds. We have different education levels in the church. We have experienced different traumas and disasters in our lifetimes. And when we feel pulled in different political dimensions in the world, in our own nations too. But nevertheless, God has revealed something surprising to us. God has revealed someone to us that somehow gels us and brings us together. A certain power, a certain tug of the heart, a a certain peace, maybe a star, maybe the car in front of you, drew you into church to worship this morning. And here, as diverse as we are in so many ways, we worship and adore Jesus Christ as Lord. We bring gifts of money and time and attention and service. And a certain power of the Spirit of God works as the glue of our fellowship as we maintain the unity and peace serving God and and serving one another in our unique ways, with our unique giftings. So may the peace of Christ rule in all of our hearts on into this new year, and may God receive all of the glory. Would you pray with me? God of light and life, in faith we offer you our praises and adoration today. We also offer you our prayers We first thank you for the light of your Son, our Lord Jesus, for the light that enters the dark and violent places of our world and the dark places of our own lives and hearts, too. Thank you for making peace and reconciliation possible. For those of us who have experienced the effects of violence of one kind or another or suffered the aftershocks of a battlefield in a far-off land, we 
pray for healing, restoration, and your peace that surpasses all understanding. And may your light shine brightly within all of us, that all nations and peoples of the world could see your light of truth and grace through the diverse church you are even now gathering in. For we offer these prayers and our lives in your name, Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit is one God, now and forever. Amen.